well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Hope that you are uh, ready for the Christmas holidays. Uh, I am not. I am behind the eight ball this year, which is not particularly surprising. I don't even have a tree up. That That's a surprise. Um, yeah, we did cut some trees down on my property this weekend. Just didn't have a chance to put the Christmas tree up, but that'll happen tonight. Still have to get some uh, stocking stuffers for my uh, lovely bride, but Missy is taking care of the uh, presents for the kids. So at least we have that under control. Hopefully uh, you're a little bit further ahead uh, than I am here, but uh, I'll tell you what, uh, while I am rushing to get the Christmas shopping done, anti-gun lawmakers around the country are rushing to uh, get their to-do list crossed off before the end of the year. And unfortunately, the things that they're talking about, more likely to get them coal from Santa Claus rather than uh, presents under the tree, because we're not talking about uh, good little boys and girls here. Uh Uh-uh, we're talking about trying to infringe on a fundamental civil right. Uh, In New Jersey, lawmakers today expected to uh, uh, give final approval to the concealed carry restrictions that uh, lawmakers have been debating since the Bruin decision was handed down. And in Illinois, they are working through the lame duck session uh, trying to get not only a gun ban uh, imposed, but uh, raising the age to purchase a firearm, raising the age to exercise your your right to keep and bear arms, quite frankly. Uh, and they're trying to get this done as quickly as possible. So we've already seen hearings held in Illinois. We've got another one coming up tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Uh, but one of the interesting things that has emerged in the current debate in Illinois is the fact that uh, opposition is actually more bipartisan than support at the moment. There are um, a number of downstate Democrats who are expected to vote against uh, this package, uh, but because Democrats actually gained seats in the Illinois legislature last month, the anti-gun lawmakers, they can afford to lose a couple of Democrat votes. Uh, What I think is maybe more troubling for the gun control forces right now is that you've got individuals who are ostensibly allies uh, who are also raising objections. The uh, Center Square reporting on over-policed, quote-unquote, minority communities objecting to Illinois' proposed gun ban penalties. Uh, And they note that uh, during last Thursday's hearing uh, on this bill, Live Free Illinois lead organizer Artenese Myrick said that the organization does support prohibiting certain guns and magazines, but said, quote, we are concerned that law-abiding citizens may be wrapped up in the system if they're not able to obtain weapons through the proper channels. For black and brown communities who are over-policed, we have more individuals who are susceptible to being swept up and are forgotten in the system. Which is probably true, fair enough. I would point out to Myrick, however, that if you're concerned about the enforcement of a particular gun control law, then maybe you shouldn't be supportive of the law in general. Maybe you should back off of your support for things like banning so-called assault weapons, banning so-called large capacity magazines, if you believe that harm will come to these over-policed communities if these laws go into effect, or if these bills go into effect, rather. Uh, during the uh, hearing, Myrick also said that, uh, quote, we strongly oppose any proposed legislation that would further criminalize black and brown communities. We are opposed to penalty enhancements for black and brown communities, and we are opposed to the Foyd card age limit being raised to the age 
of 21. Uh, the center square also notes that gun owner rights groups, <laughs> heaven forbid you call them, you know, Second Amendment groups, because uh, listen, here's why that phrase doesn't make any sense. We're not talking about the rights of gun owners. We're talking about the right of we the people to own and carry firearms. It doesn't matter if you're a gun owner or not. You still have your Second Amendment rights unless you've been adjudicated as mentally defective, unless you've been convicted of a uh, felony offense or a a domestic violence misdemeanor, or, or you've been subject to a red flag law. You have your rights, whether or not you're you're exercising them. They are still your rights. So I think it, it's it's a little bit of a uh, gaslighting attempt on the part of the center square to uh, refer to these groups like the Illinois State Rifle Association uh, as uh, gun owner rights groups. Because no, these are groups that are dedicated to preserving and protecting a fundamental right of we, the people. Now, having said that, the uh, groups like Illinois State Rifle Association, uh Gun store owners, including uh, Dan Eldridge uh, with the Federal Firearms Licensees of Illinois, say that, uh, yes, these measures, if enacted, will make law-abiding residents criminals overnight, saying that millions and millions of Illinois residents suddenly are criminals for something that they formerly possessed lawfully, committed no crimes with, and now they're felons. Yeah, because under the uh, terms of the gun ban proposed in Illinois, existing owners of modern sporting rifles um, would, in fact, be required to uh, hand them over or at least dispose of them, right? Could not... uh, Well, I I take that back. I think you're allowed to register these guns with the state. And the state promises, once you've told them where your battlefield weapon of war that nobody should be allowed to own is located, you'll be allowed to keep it forevermore. (laughs) You believe it? I don't believe it. Here's the thing, though. Uh, while there are certainly critics of this gun control measure, including some on the left, the bulk of the Democratic establishment has fallen squarely in line behind these new restrictions in Illinois. Here's a uh, another headline for you. Supporters of assault weapons ban in Illinois tell lawmakers bill doesn't go far enough. Yeah, they, they want more. Um, HB 5855 already lists more than 100 semi-automatic firearms in, quote, assault-style weapons, such as the AR-15. Yet some advocates say the list is incomplete. Others, such as Dr. Karen Sheehan, a pediatric physician at Lurie Children's Hospital, said more needs to be done to keep firearms out of the hands of those who may be arrested themselves or others. The state firearm restraining order allows family members and law enforcement with old weapons from those in crisis, she said, but does not allow licensed health care providers to do so. Hospital 5855 expands the temporary restraining order to 12 months, up from six, and creates the Commission on Implementing the Firearms Restraining Order Act. She said at a a hearing last week, quote, this is important because as clinicians, we may know that a patient may be at risk before the family member does. And 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 what do you propose to do about it, Dr. Sheehan? You 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 decide that somebody's a danger to themselves or others. Please, uh, Please don't know about it. Family doesn't even know about it. But you've decided that someone is a danger to themselves or others. So what do you do? Do you invoke the civil commitment law in the state of Illinois? Do you make sure that these folks get treatment until they are no longer a danger to themselves or others? Hell no! Let's just take their guns away! That's what red flag laws do. So according to what Sheehan is proposing, mental health professionals should be able to say, hey, this person is a danger to themselves or others. 
Let's take their guns away and that'll solve the problem. What mental health professional would ever honestly believe that? I mean, besides Dr. Sheehan, I suppose. What is the point? What is the point of declaring that somebody is a danger to themselves rather than saying, you know what, we're going to take this one object that you may or may not even own. Uh, We're going to take your ability to legally own those things away from you. We're not going to give you any sort of mental health treatment. We're not going to ensure that, you know, you're getting counseling, maybe your medication. We're certainly not going to uh, put you in an institution until you're no longer a danger to yourself or somebody else. In fact, we're going to give you access to knives, pills, rope, gasoline and matches, anything you want, including any firearms, by the way, you might be able to illegally obtain while you're out, not getting treatment for your dangerousness. What, again, is the point of this? Other than to allow anti-gun lawmakers to say, well, we did something. We did something. And they can even proclaim this is valuable, right? Uh, This is is, going to be a valuable life-saving measure, even though there's no evidence that that's the case. Uh, Red flag laws, as I've talked about at Bearing Arms before, time and again, in my opinion, not only are they gun control legislation uh, masking, masquerading as a, a mental health bill, uh, but they take us further away from what we really need to be doing here when it comes to individuals who are a danger to themselves or others. Uh, I wrote to uh, Barry Arms this weekend about the mental health plan that uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin has announced uh, in Virginia, which is great, actually. I mean, they, they, he recognizes, yeah, we've got a shortage of inpatient beds. We've got people who are in crisis who are sitting in jail cells or ER, so they're not getting the help that they need. We need to fix it. We need to start working on it now. It's going to take some money. All right, let's start doing this, right? Uh, Illinois lawmakers aren't doing that. Illinois lawmakers are figuring out, uh, well, how can we uh, you know, uh, ban these guns? How can we put people who are accused of violent crimes back out on the street as quickly as possible? And how can we ignore the crisis in our criminal mental health system? That, that, that seems to me to be the priorities in Springfield right now. Um, now, as to whether or not this uh, gun control package can get through, I, 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 listen, I would have to say that based on the numbers in the legislature, the odds are favorable that uh, the gun ban, raising the age to uh, exercise your segment rise from 18 to 21 and expanding the state's red flag law, stand a... a Better than 50% chance of getting enacted. But I don't think it's 100%. Uh, again, the opposition that we're seeing, not only on the right, but from some folks on the left, who say, listen, this isn't the way to go about making our communities safer. Imposing new nonviolent possessory offenses on people who are trying to obey the law uh, is not going to be the, uh, the, 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 the magic solution. Uh, that you think it is, as long as those voices continue to be raised, as long as we continue to see bipartisan opposition, arguments from the right, middle, and the left against these proposals, I think we have a shot of defeating one or more of uh, the components of uh, House Bill 5855 in Illinois. I, I think it's an uphill fight, but I don't think that the battle is lost yet, and I would encourage Illinois gun owners to get involved, 
And if you're already involved, stay involved and engaged because uh, this is going to be a big fight. In fact, I think 2023 may be shaping up to be the year of the gun ban uh, for the left. I, you know, they, they, they lost on the right to carry. Uh, they are going, I think, to be losing some other significant battles. So I think they're feeling like a little bit like their backs are against the wall here. And they've got to go big. So if they've been told, hey, you know what, yeah, you, you can't have these may issue carry licenses, the fight over the, uh, you know, the scope of the right to carry obviously is going to continue. Um, but a ban on so-called assault weapons is, is, is still unaddressed by the Supreme Court. And so the gun control lobby can say, aha, well, I haven't said it's not unconstitutional. So let's go full speed ahead. And again, I think we're going to see this in Illinois, may see this in Washington state, uh, where, again, we're hearing uh, a talk about a ban on so-called assaultments. Uh, 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 Governor Lamont in Connecticut uh, wants to uh, expand that state's current ban on modern sporting rifles to, again, encompass those that are currently lawfully owned. He seems to be getting a lot of pushback from his fellow Democrats in Connecticut as well. So it may be that in Illinois, uh, a gun ban that uh, forces uh, existing owners to either register their firearms with the state or again, become paperwork criminals overnight, uh, might also run into a bipartisan buzzsaw of opposition. We will certainly be uh, keeping our eyes peeled on what's going on in Illinois, including uh, covering tomorrow's hearing uh, at BearingArms.com. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story. Our good deed of the day and our recidivist report, we will start there with a case out of Las Vegas, where a, a teenager facing 70 counts of robbery and battery and has now been charged as an adult uh, with all of these crimes. Uh, Demaja Lofton was in uh, Las Vegas Justice Court last Thursday morning for an initial appearance where the 70 felony and gross misdemeanor charges were read to him. Right now he's being held on $150,000 bail. Um, the uh, judge overseeing this case ruled earlier this month that uh, the allegations against Lofton were serious enough that he should be tried in adult court, saying that, uh, quote, public safety is paramount in these decisions. We do seek to rehabilitate youth when we can. But these subjective factors do kind of speak to the idea that come a certain age, there are consequences. Now, according to prosecutors, Lofton was suspected in at least 17 robberies between July and October. Uh, they say usually worked with at least one accomplice and stealing money from a cash drawer while pretending to buy things from various stores. Lofton also accused of stealing an 81-year-old woman's uh, car when she was walking from her vehicle to her apartment. Uh, the prosecutor says that uh, Lofton pushed the woman that she was injured in that robbery. Police say Lofton posted pictures of himself on social media inside the stolen car. It was found the next day outside of Lofton's home, yeah, about 18 miles away from where it was stolen. Now, here's the thing. This is where we get into the recidivist part of this story. According to prosecutors, Lofton has had five prior charges as a juvenile in the past three years, including robbery, burglary, Grand larceny and petty larceny. He was sent to a youth center for six months on those charges. He was released from probation on June 23rd, one month before prosecutors say he is uh, he committed that first in a string of robberies that took place earlier this year. Now, his defense attorney argues that Lofton has no parents. No support system, failed two grades in middle school, 
said that there was no record of him ever enrolling in high school after being expelled, said his parents never attended a hearing in any juvenile case for him. Basically arguing, you know, look, this kid has had the deck stacked against him. And it sounds like that's the case. Having said that, is that justification or an excuse for this type of criminality? Judge says no. Quote, although his personal circumstances are not only pitiable, but tragic, really. He doesn't have that family support that he needs in order to adequately assimilate into society. His behavior itself has risen to a level that I don't believe the juvenile system can adequately address. And so Lofton is being tried as an adult. Likely, but not a guarantee that uh, he'll be facing some serious time behind bars given the number of uh, felony and gross misdemeanor charges that he's facing. But uh, I would say a plea deal is also very much on the table. And um, whatever the outcome is, honestly, I know that adult prison is not about rehabilitation. But I hope that wherever young Mr. Lofton ends up, A, it's not back out on the streets. And B, while he is confined, I hope that he is able to get the help that he needs. Because it sounds like he needs a lot of it. And if he doesn't get it, sadly, Mr. Lofton is the type of person we are likely to hear more about in the future. Now, today's Armed citizen story, also from Nevada, uh, Pahrump, Nevada, where a uh, home invader was shot over the weekend. Uh, according to uh, Channel 2 News, the Nye County Sheriff's Office says that a uh, homeowner in Pahrump uh, shot this uh, uh, armed intruder, who it turns out was actually wanted at the time for violating their own parole. This was uh, last Thursday around 9.30 at night. Nye County Sheriff's Office deputies responded to a report of a shooting. During the investigation, deputies found that uh, 48-year-old Sean Richard had unlawfully entered a home. During that home invasion, the homeowner, who was armed with a gun, shot and critically injured Sean Richard as he attempted to enter the bedroom of the home. Richard transported to a nearby hospital. Sheriff's office says that Richard was in possession of a shotgun that had been stolen from a home invasion the night before. Yeah. Uh, Richard was also wanted at the time for a a violation of his probation. Now he's facing charges of home invasion. Grand larceny of a firearm burglary, as well as a prohibited person in possession of a firearm. Given that uh, Mr. Richard is 48 years old, juvenile court, not an option for him. He's old enough to know better. And again, now facing some serious charges, the homeowner not facing any charges for defending himself inside his residence. Finally, today, our good deed of the day in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A uh, sheriff's deputy in Fredericksburg, Virginia, who uh, helped save a life on her way home from a uh, Christmas party while she was dressed as Mrs. Claus. Yeah. Gotta love that, right? Um, And I I apologize. It's sheriff's deputy. This was actually uh, Lieutenant Tabitha Merrill with the uh, Fredericksburg Police Department. Uh, The Fredericksburg Sheriff's Office uh, shared in a Facebook post that uh, Merrill saw a young woman on a a bridge overlooking the Rappahannock River. She was uh, looking down. This was uh, after Lieutenant Merrill was driving home from a community event where, again, she had uh, played the part of Mrs. Claus. So she just drives by. She sees this woman 
looking down over the railing and something just fell off to Lieutenant Merrill. So she turned around, parked, got out to uh, check on the woman, found her in the same spot, but now she had one leg hanging over the bridge. So Merrill approached the uh, 25-year-old woman, started engaging with her, started talking to her. Uh, Fredericksburg Police Patrol Sergeant Amy Lynch, also driving home from that same community event, she saw Mrs. Claus standing by the side of the, the bridge there talking to a strange a stranger. She too pulls over. And the uh, two officers, again, continue engaging with the uh, 25-year-old woman. They were eventually able to pull her off of the railing. Um, she was taken to a nearby hospital where um, police say she's getting the mental health assistance that she needs. Again, given the current crisis in our mental health system in the Commonwealth of Virginia, I don't necessarily know that that is the case. I hope it is. I really do. Um, but I know that things likely could have been a lot worse, not only for this woman, but uh, for her family, friends, those who care about her. Uh, Lieutenant Merrill and uh, Sergeant Lynch had not been in that right place at the right time, weren't able to do the right thing. Uh, police chief uh, in Fredericksburg said the most amazing part of the story is that Lieutenant Merrill and Sergeant Lynch typically take a different route home. Call it divine intervention or fate, but I truly believe that those officers were meant to take the route they did and help save this woman's life. I applaud them both for flawlessly utilizing their crisis intervention skills. In the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, and a, a Christmas miracle, perhaps, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, thanks to the uh, quick thinking of Lieutenant Tabitha Merrill. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam & Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, I'm looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. We're not taking this week off. Oh, no. Save that for next week. Um, but <clears throat> this week, we've got plenty of shows for you. We also regularly updating BearingArms.com with the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. So I would obviously encourage you to visit the website multiple times throughout the day. If you like what you see, also, I would encourage you to become a VIP or perhaps even a VIP gold member of Bearing Arms. Not only will you get the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that you're supporting independent pro-Second Amendment journalism, we're going to say thanks for your support by giving you exclusive content. News stories analysis you won't find anywhere else because your support really does matter and it does make a difference. So thank you again. Have a great rest of your Monday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.